Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is April the 28th, 2023, and here we are, here you are, here I am, and uh, glad you could join me. The world continues to go crazier by the heartbeat, um, and what we're observing, I, I have to tell you, if Tom Clancy, one of my all-time favorite authors, had written a book shortly before 9-11, predicting accurately the attacks of 9-11 and all that we would and would not do as a nation in the wake of 9-11, uh, I will tell you that I can't imagine that his publishers would have published his report. In fact, most likely what they would have done is to say to him, you know what, Tom, it's time for you to retire. You've lost your mind. There is no way this could be happening. And yet, here we are, it's happening. And I just find it disheartening, frustrating. I'm sure you do also. Uh, So to be honest, I I sometimes find my program to be uh, cathartic. You know, you you look at what we are doing to ourselves as a nation, to the American people, to our standing around the world. Uh, And by the way, as a consequence, Think of how this imperils the safety and well-being of America's allies and the notion of freedom in countries clear across the globe. America has been taken down several notches by an administration that is either corrupt, inept, um, or, or has goals that are incomprehensible, at least to me and probably many of our fellow Americans. And, and the insanity, though, is that immigration is at the heart of so much of what we're dealing with. Immigration, I always have liked to point out, is not a single issue but a singular issue because it impacts just about every challenge and threat that our nation and our citizens are facing today. Our borders are supposed to be our first and last line of defense against those who would come here and do harm to us, enemy combatants, spies, terrorists, drug traffickers, human traffickers, gang members, people that would come here and have a profound impact on our economy, on our educational system, on infrastructure. And yet the open borders crowd who see in our borders protection but an impediment to their wealth have bamboozled the American people through the media. If you dare suggest that we enforce immigration laws, you're labeled anti-immigrant. I was on the phone uh, earlier with with an old friend, a guy that I mentored when he was a new agent. He wound up actually becoming a supervisory special agent at DHS. He's now recently retired, so you know you're getting old when the people you mentored are now retired. But in our conversation, he said, Mike, I would imagine when you were a new agent, you just went out there and made arrests and nobody made a big deal about it. I said, no, absolutely not. We went out there with a warrant, without a warrant. Sometimes he would have a lead. We'd knock on a door, interview somebody who was suspected of being here illegally, conducted an interview and determined whether or not we had sufficient cause to believe the person was here, 
in violation of our immigration laws, and if he or she was, we would put handcuffs on them and bring them into the office. And it was a rare day when we had problems with anybody in the community. In fact, I remember one particular morning, and this was kind of an interesting story, we went into a neighborhood that was predominantly Caribbean. You know, when people think immigration immediately, it's all about Latinos and Mexico and Spanish speaking, and we get that from the media, we get it from the politicians. Uh, Let's go back to the term alien. It simply means any person who is not a citizen or national of the United States. That's not Mike Cutler's definition. It's the definition of the term alien contained within the Immigration and Nationality Act. And every agent who went to the academy had to memorize lots of definitions which provided you with clear guidance when you had to make a quick decision out in the field, out on the street. Alien, any person not a citizen or national of the United States. Very simple, very focused. Doesn't say you're ugly, smell bad, stupid, or immoral. It simply says you're not a citizen. It's like saying you can have close friends. They're not part of your family, so they're not relatives. So they're friends, but not relatives. Aliens are people who are not citizens because they're aliens, okay? And they're aliens because they're not citizens. It's very simple. There's no insult. But the open borders crowd, starting with Jimmy Carter, decided they would play a game uh, straight out of the pages of George Orwell and start to demand that we no longer use the word alien. Why? Because the word alien provides clarity to the debate. And when you're a scammer, a con artist, the last thing you want is clarity. It's about obfuscating the truth um, through the use of artful language. And this is what George Orwell wrote about in 1984. If you haven't read 1984, please get a hold of it, read it. You will understand exactly everything that is going on. I promise you, it will be an eye-opener for you. I recommend you, you send copies of it to all your friends. Have them read it. You'll understand exactly what we're doing. So the point of the matter was, uh, this one particular morning, we had information that there was a bunch of thugs from Jamaica who were selling drugs, mostly marijuana in those days, to school kids. They'd be walking to school. They'd go into the first floor apartment in this apartment house. These guys took the lock out of the door. So the kids would pass money through the hole, and they would pass a little bag of marijuana to the kids. They were heavily armed, these individuals. Most had rap sheets. We had identified some of them, but not all of them. And one particular hot, sweltering morning, I went there with a bunch of my fellow agents, and they had a changing of the guard, as it were. This place operated 24-7, and they usually had three or four people inside selling the drugs to kids. And occasionally there'd be a little bit of cocaine. Um, This was quite a crew. And so we waited for them to open the door to let in their buddy, and we charged in, um, and, and we identified ourselves, and we wound up arresting all of the aliens who were operating this, this particular drug location that kids, junior high and high school kids, were going to to buy pot coming and going from school. I mean, imagine that situation. And I remember that we had these guys in handcuffs. There were six of us, if I remember correctly, how many agents were involved, six or eight of us. And as we were taking them out, we realized there was a huge mob of Jamaican and Trinidadian citizens, uh, aliens from the Caribbean, who were surrounding the building as we were trying to get out. 
And for that split second, I thought, uh-oh, we're in trouble. We're outnumbered, certainly. But what happened was remarkable. As we walked out, a big cheer went up from the crowd. It sounded like being at the baseball game and someone just hit a grand slam home run. Everybody on the street went wild. And this one big heavyset woman ran up to me, gave me a hug and a kiss on the cheek, and she said, thank you, you're doing God's work. These people scared the hell out of us. We know they have guns. They've been selling drugs to the kids in the neighborhood. It's a serious problem. We don't know how to thank you. It was very rewarding. This was how people understood the way we dealt with people who violated the law and endangered the safety of children, especially endangering the safety of children. Children are supposed to be sacrosanct. I know I talk about immigration. I tend to occasionally I'll deal with other law enforcement issues because as an immigration agent, I spent half my 30-year career with the drug task force. I was a DEA intelligence for a number of years before I was promoted to senior special agent. But what I'm observing now, and I was the Parents Association president of my daughter's public school, by the way, and the goal back then was to involve parents in the education and the lives of their children. Kids that grow up in troubled families with abusive parents or non-existent parents struggle. They start out with a huge deficit if they don't have a loving, supportive family around them to provide them with guidance and love and discipline. You know, I don't believe in being an 8-year-old or a 12-year-old kid's best friend if you're that child's parent. They don't need a best friend at that point. They need a parent to tell them right from wrong and to set them on the right path. You know, my parents did an incredible job. And, you know, those who are familiar with me know that I, I lost my parents tragically to cancer within a year of each other when I was in college. And the only reason I was able to somehow get through that very tough time, and I sometimes look back at it, and I still have nightmares, to be honest, but it was the fact that my parents had set me on the right path from the time that I was a child. Right from wrong, be responsible. If you give your word, you have to keep your word. I mean, my goodness, they laid down the law, and they had a tough time of it themselves. My mom came as a 13-year-old from Poland. The head of the Holocaust came legally, but lived by herself in a rooming house and supported herself back then at the tender age of 13, working in a sweatshop making umbrellas. We thought that America had ended that kind of child labor exploitation, but we're going to discuss it this evening. Uh, it's not over. In fact, it's come roaring back thanks to the supposedly compassionate policies of the Biden administration. But we'll get back to that for a moment. But I will tell you that I am troubled. I was just watching Fox News, and I have my issues with all the news outlets. Let's be real honest. I mean, <laughs> we, have, we have problems. But they made a point that in some schools around the country, children can be given privacy so that their parents don't know whether or not they're identifying as members of their own sex or a different sex, if they want to be called by a different name. How can you keep parents out of the equation? And here we're talking about children who are 10 to 14 years of age when they are going through the turmoil of puberty. If ever they needed the parent to be there by their side, providing them with comfort, guidance, and security, <clears throat> you have schools instructing teachers that if, if Johnny wants to be called Joanne, don't tell the parent under any circumstances. If the child needs an aspirin, you can tell the parent. 
If the child wants to go on a school trip, the parent is supposed to sign the note. But if the child wants sex change, don't tell the parent. My level of rage as a father and as a grandfather and as a, a, a rational adult, it blows my mind. I don't even know why we had bothered to have ratings for the movies any longer. If you can discuss sex change with a 10-year-old, what's the purpose to R-rated or X-rated movies? We've lost our moral compass. We've lost our collective minds. And, and you know, I, I believe it all started when a few years ago the term... Um, that entered into the vernacular was disruptive. A new company is disruptive to the industry. Instead of saying game changer, revolutionary, uh, whatever, it's disruptive. And suddenly we were being conditioned to accept the idea that disruptions were a good thing. Is it a good thing when electricity is disrupted or the computer system is disrupted or travel is disrupted or society is disrupted. This has been, I believe, a concerted effort to take down America by the enemies of America and politicians who stand for nothing more than garnering campaign contributions and votes so they can have power. But no one seems to really talk about their vision for America and Americans into the future. It's all about winning elections and how much money they've amassed in their war chest so they could win the next election. It's insanity. And I will tell you that the American people are not being represented, not even a little bit. And a lot of con scams are being run on us, and it begins with immigration, beginning with the, you know, removal of the word alien. And look where we've gone. Look where we've gone. You're anti-immigrant if we suggest that you enforce immigration laws that are designed to protect public health, public safety, national security, and the jobs and wages of Americans. Joe Biden is clearly hell-bent on flooding the world into the United States. How does that help Americans? This is the administration that talks about sustainability. How is it sustainable to bring in millions of people who each have an environmental footprint? Every person present in the United States requires 100 gallons of water per day, according to a number of studies that I've read, for bathing, washing dishes, cooking food, drinking, and so forth, 100 gallons of water. There's a drought, and I've mentioned it previously. I'll keep mentioning it until it sinks in. There's a drought in the West. Yes, California's off the hook for now. Their reservoirs are full because of all the flooding, and now snow is melting, and we have a temporary reprieve in some places out West, I guess, about water shortages. But the shortages have been so severe that the river bottoms are now exposed. The president has signed executive orders diverting water from one location to another location because we don't have enough water. And yet it's believed that this administration has caused the entry of at least 5 million aliens. You know, we're not paying attention. Every day, day in, day out, how many people are flowing into the United States? And that's just across the southern border. Part of the con game is all they want you to look at is the southern border. That's part of the con game. By the way, I don't want to make light of the southern border. It's a huge problem. It's a dangerous border. We know that Hezbollah, which is an Iranian-backed terrorist group, has been working with human traffickers and drug smugglers throughout Latin America, moving narcotics and aliens, including sleeper agents and potentially terrorists, into our country across that southern border. 
So don't for a heartbeat think I'm saying, oh, we don't need to worry about the southern border. That southern border keeps me awake at night. But it's only one part of our massive border. The Mexican border is roughly 2,000 miles. The United States has over 100,000 miles of border plus international airports. But don't look at anything else. Just stay focused on the Mexican border. Ignore the Canadian border. Ignore our coastline through which aliens undoubtedly enter the United States if they can get around the Coast Guard. And it used to be believed that half of all illegal aliens in the United States were admitted through ports of entry, mostly international airports, and then went on to, to commit terror attacks, commit crime, and so forth. We had fugitives come through international airports. We're ignoring all of that because we're only going to focus on the southern border. And every time a Yorkist gets called to testify, it's all about the southern border. Why is nobody asking him about how many cases of fraud have been found in applications for U.S. citizenship? Because we know that immigration fraud has traditionally been the key method of entry and embedding for terrorists. The very first time I testified before a congressional hearing was on May 20th, 1997, four and a half years prior to the terror attacks of 9-11, and that hearing was predicated on two terror attacks carried out in the United States in 1993, the shooting at the CIA by a Pakistani by the name of Kansi, killing two CIA agents, wounding others. He fled the country, came back, was dragged back, I should say, uh, put on trial, found guilty, and executed, but it didn't bring the dead back to life. And one month after that attack at the CIA, we had the bombing at the Trade Center that killed six, injured over a thousand, and inflicted a half billion in damages, billion with a B, and it was the stated goal of the terrorists to bring the towers down sideways so they could kill over 200,000 people. Then I spoke to the people involved with the bombing investigation who told me that if the tower had come down sideways, they might have even killed more than 200,000. 200,000. Wow. Double the number of people that are poisoned by fentanyl, but the border isn't a big deal. And the fentanyl, by the way, is not only coming across the Mexican border. It's being mailed into post offices. It's coming on boats. It's coming on airplanes. And it's coming across the Canadian border. But all we keep hearing is we've got to secure the southern border. It's insane. It's insane. And over time... The term immigrant has replaced alien, so the presumption is that anybody who wants to come here has an absolute right to come here, and that's utter bull. Strangers don't have the right to walk into your house, and aliens don't have a right to come into our country unless they are admitted through a process designed to keep, keep out those who pose a threat to our well-being. Title 8, United States Code, Section 1182, enumerates the categories of aliens who are to be kept out. There is not a single word about race or religion or ethnicity. It's about aliens who have dangerous communicable diseases. Think what's going on with COVID. And by the way, once again, they're talking about lifting Title 42, right? Dangerous diseases, mental illness, criminals, terrorists, spies, human rights violators, war criminals, fugitives from justice, human traffickers, drug smugglers. And then we get to aliens who would become a public charge or if they work, would displace Americans and or drive down the wages of Americans who were similarly employed. Remember, the Labor Department used to be in charge of immigration prior to the Second World War, when it was recognized that immigration was a matter of significant national security concern. That's what we're talking about. But if you suggest that we're hurting America by having 
this limitless flow of humanity cross our borders with an S, borders. You're a hater, a racist, a nativist. Well, I am a nativist. If being a nativist means that I want to look out for my fellow Americans before I look out for anybody else. Parents, families are more concerned with their children than they are with the children who live across the street. We don't want any harm to come to the kids who live anywhere. But number one concern is that families take care of their own children first. And today we're being told that parents shouldn't even be involved with their children, apparently. If this isn't turning logic, reasoning, biology, common sense on its ear, then maybe I need a straitjacket. So Congress had a hearing. And by the way, I, I want to make a point about how aliens enter the United States. And I think I may have mentioned it last week. I participated in a speaking engagement in New Jersey a couple of months ago. And I asked the folks in the audience if it mattered to them how I came to New Jersey. I said, you know, I'm a Brooklyn boy, right? Went to Brooklyn College, Brooklyn through and through. Uh, does it matter if I took the George Washington Bridge or the Lincoln Tunnel or the Holland Tunnel or if I came through Staten Island? Does it matter to you if once in New Jersey I took the Garden State Parkway or I-80 or the Jersey Turnpike or I went with the city streets? Do you folks care? And one of the people in the audience blurted out, Mr. Cutler, why should we care how you came here? All that matters is you got here. I said, that's right. So why are we being told to watch out for those aliens coming across the southern border and we never consider, we never talk talk about the aliens come through international airports or the Canadian border or come on boats? Uh, You know, I was in every squad within the investigations branch of the INS back in New York City way back when I was an agent. And for a couple of years, I was the Marine Intelligence Officer, which meant I went out with the U.S. Customs and with the Coast Guard. I was part of the boarding party, and we'd go on board ships looking for stowaways and contraband. And we found them, stowaways and contraband. The point is that aliens who want to come here just want to come here. And it doesn't matter how they want to come or how they get here. All that matters is ultimately they get here. In fact, most of the terrorists came through international airports. That's just a statement of fact. They came through international airports. And, and, you know, the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel makes this point. The preface to that report starts this way. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. Prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. You have to wonder who the hell was running these dumbass agencies, right? You can't figure this out. If you want to protect your country against terrorists and violence, keep out the people that want to commit the attacks. Wow. This is really complicated, isn't it? Nobody connected the dots. Take out your crayons, boys and girls. We'll connect the dots. Okay? So while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe, for reasons we discussed in the following pages, it must be made one. They weren't even talking about the Mexican border here. They were talking about the way that aliens were getting visas. When was the last time you saw a report on any of the networks 
talking about visas, immigration fraud, international airports. You probably heard it on Newsmax occasionally because on occasion they invite me on, and when I do, I try to make the point of getting into these issues. But be honest. When was the last time you were listening to Fox News? I'm not even going to ask you, but CNN, MSNBC, or ABC. And by the way, shortly after 9-11, I was on those networks more than I was any other. And they were right there, shoulder to shoulder. We've got to secure the documents. We've got to go after identity theft. We've got to go after the visa process. We have no idea who these students are. They were pounding away right until the Supreme Court decided Citizens United, which meant that unlimited amounts of money could be pumped into political campaigns, and everybody fell right in line. Not just the politicians, but the news media. Boom. The veil of silence descended. Shut up. We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about that. Nobody wanted to consider any of this anymore. It was remarkable. It was like someone had flipped the switch. And, and, and if you look at what the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel says about immigration and terrorism, it is crystal clear. It is crystal clear, okay? Um, the World Trade Center bombing, February 1993. This is that report, the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel that was authored by the federal agents and attorneys assigned to the 9-11 Commission. So here we're talking about the World Trade Center bombing that I just mentioned, February 90, 1993. Three terrorists were involved in the first World Trade Center bombing reportedly traveled on Saudi passports containing an indicator of possible terrorist affiliation. Three of the 9-11 hijackers also had passports containing the same possible indicator of terrorist affiliation. In addition, Ramzi Youssef, the mastermind of the attack, and Ahmed Ajaj, who was able to direct aspects of the attack despite being in prison for using an altered passport, traveled under aliases using fraudulent documents. The two of them were found to possess five passports as well as numerous documents supporting their aliases a Saudi passport showing signs of alteration, an Iraqi passport bought from a Pakistani official, a photo-substituted Swedish passport, a photo-substituted British passport, a Jordanian passport, identification cards, bank records, education records, and medical records. It went on and said once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. When was the last time you heard anybody in the media or any politician talk about immigration fraud, even as we're being told that ISIS is reconstituting itself in Afghanistan because of the way that the Biden administration withdrew our forces from Afghanistan. Let me repeat that sentence for you. Once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. For example, Yusuf and Ajaz concocted bogus political asylum stories when they arrived in the United States. Just about every alien being led across that border today by the Biden administration is claiming what? Political asylum. They have so jammed up the political asylum mechanism that hearings will not be held in New York for 10 years. 10 years. They're here. They're floating around our country, not limited to where they could be or where they could go. They have permission to work, and they have 10 years before they're even supposed to show up and if they don't show up who's going to look for them we don't have any agents and all we're hearing is we need more border patrol more border patrol if we're going to hire irs we need to hire border patrol border patrol agents are not involved with looking for aliens who fail to show up for hearings 
Border Patrol agents are not involved with investigating allegations of immigration fraud. Agents have only one primary mission, interdiction, protect the border. And once you get past the border, that's it. So there's two basic ways that aliens enter the United States, legally or illegally. Illegally, how? By running the border, evading the inspections process. And that border could be the northern border, the southern border, or 95,000 miles of coastline. Or the legal system, where they go through a port of entry. But even that might be illegal, as we see, the terrorists using fake passports under assumed identities, etc. But the idea is, the goal of the terrorists and criminals and any alien who comes here basically is to get into the United States and head for the interior or some other city. By the way, New York City traditionally has always been considered the city with the greatest number of illegal aliens. Now the politicians have stolen one of my lines. For the longest time, I have said that this country does not have four border states, you know, California, New Mexico, Arizona, Texas. So now they're saying every state is a border state. Why are they saying it? Because aliens that run the Mexican border are being shipped all over the country, and they're making their way to cities across the country or states across the country. Same difference. No, that doesn't make them border states. It makes them destination states, okay? The guy who comes across the Mexican border, where do you want to go? I want to go to New York. Okay, that makes New York not a border state but a destination state. Now, it's a big difference. Let me explain what I mean by the difference between a border state and a destination state. New York has the greatest number of illegal aliens. Do you think it's because every alien who runs the Mexican border says, I want to go to New York? No. It's because New York has many illegal aliens who entered the United States through the Canadian border. Remember, the Canadian border shares part of the border with upper New York State. Northern New York State is right on that border, right? But we also have international airports. So aliens come through international airports and they fail to depart. They come from the Dominican Republic. They come from Jamaica. They come from Haiti. They come from everywhere. They come from England. They come from Israel. They come from Italy. They come from Australia. They come from Japan. It's not about race. It's about people coming from other parts of the world for various reasons to come here. They might be coming for a job or they might be coming because they're wanted for murder. They might be coming because they're part of the drug cartel and want to set up shop. They might be coming because they're part of al-Qaeda or ISIS and are waiting instructions to to blow us up. We have no idea why they're here, but Kamala Harris says she's going to check into the root cause. The biggest root cause are the actions and policies of this administration that's driving these people to the United States. They have clearly fired the starter's pistol for aspiring illegal aliens from countries around the world, including countries that are our adversaries, okay? But the idea that every state is a border state is because every state either has access to the northern border, the southern border, our coastline, or has international airports, or all the above, or some of the above. That's why we're a nation of 50 border states, not because aliens who run the Mexican border go to the other states. That only makes that state a destination state. But the politicians and the open borders crowd wanted to forget that people can come to the United States directly from overseas by landing at an international airport, which is just about every state of the Union. Or they could get on a ship, or they could run the Canadian or the the Mexican borders. 
That's why we have 50 border states. Not because people coming up from Mexico are heading to New York. That doesn't make New York a border state. John F. Kennedy International Airport makes New York City a border city. We also have, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the seaports. We have ships coming in all the time. I know. I used to go on board those ships to inspect them. That's why New York City is a border city, right? Right up there with Juarez and all the others. Not as dangerous as Juarez. Mexico is in a state of free fall. It's a narco state. But the point of the matter is New York City is a border city. You don't need to get into the United States from some other place and travel to New York. All you need to do is land at Kennedy Airport, and you're here in New York City. So let's understand there's a lot more going on than simply the Mexican border. When was the last time you heard any politician challenge Mayorkas about the other ways by which aliens are entering the United States and what was being done to make certain that we weren't letting people in with fake passports or people who concealed their affiliation with criminal or terrorist organizations? I know when, the 12th of never, because the politicians from both parties are all in on open borders. That's why the Republicans would not sign off on Trump's border wall. And it wasn't Trump's border wall. It was America's border wall. And contrary to the lies of that BS artist, Pelosi, there was not a wall of hate because the border wall was not designed to keep anybody out. I keep making the point till I'm purple. The border wall simply filled in the space between ports of entry but did not block ports of entry. Just like going to a baseball game or a football stadium, you go through a gate. You enter the United States through a port of entry, Okay. It's not anti-fan to expect the fans to go through the gate at the ballpark. It's not anti-alien uh, you know, or whatever to expect people coming into our country to go through a port of entry so they can be vetted the same way we vet people before they get on airplanes and for the same purpose. So there was a hearing about the border. What else? Because that's the big focus, the southern border. And if you look at what I provided you with today, the, uh, there was a hearing held about the Mexican border and border security. And, and what was really very upsetting was that there was a, um, a disclosure at the hearing about how – hang on one moment. Bear with me. I'm, I apologize. Okay. Recent. So. There was a hearing by the Immigration Subcommittee, which is the subcommittee of the judiciary, and I've testified before that particular subcommittee a whole bunch of times, uh, beginning with, um, you know, shortly after the terror attacks of 9-11. Uh, in fact, my first hearing was also for the subcommittee, so I stand corrected. May, May 20th of 1997 was also before that subcommittee. And the title of the, of the hearing was The Biden Border Crisis, the Exploitation of Unaccompanied Alien Children. Remember I, I talked about how my mom came here ahead of the Depression, lived in a rooming house, worked in a sweatshop? You thought that was over with. Remember when I think it was Kathy Lee Gifford was selling clothing when she was on with Regis, and it turned out that the clothing was manufactured overseas, and they were using child labor. And, and to her credit, she was aghast about it. My God, we had no idea. This is going to stop. We're going to be careful. We shouldn't be using child labor. And she was right. 
We thought that that dark era of history, along with slavery, was done with. Well, guess what? There was a hearing, and one of the people who testified is a young lady by the name of Tara Lee Rodas, and she is a whistleblower from the Health and Human Services uh, Administration. And I'm going to read to you what she had to say. I think this is really important. Because I remember when Donald Trump was president and all we heard were children in cages, children in cages. The cages, by the way, were put together by the, by the Obama administration, for the record. But, of course, orange man bad. Now, that doesn't mean I always agree with Donald Trump. And now he's off on one of these ridiculous tears again. We ought to be able to fire federal employees at will. And, and we're going to go after the whistleblowers if they go to the media. Uh, President uh, Trump, we need the whistleblowers. That's how we know about the corrupt practices going on. Uh, I mean, we've got to use our head. Uh, and, and DeSantis said the same thing. Yes, we, we need to be able to fire federal employees. Who do you think is going to make the point? And I, and I had this argument with Tom Tancredo because I testified for Tom about five weeks after 9-11 because he was chairman of the Immigration Reform Caucus in the House. It was a bipartisan caucus. And he said to me, we need to be able to fire those civil servants. I don't know why the conservatives hate civil servants so much. They are the first responders. They're law enforcement officers. They're the air traffic controllers. They're the inspectors who are supposed to make certain that the food we eat is safe to eat. You may not like certain policies and go after the politicians who promulgate those policies. But the civil servants are there to protect us. I was a civil servant for 30 years, and I'm proud of that fact. So we have this whistleblower who was going crazy over what she found. And so that's why I want you to hear what she had to say. But, but, but the, the, the civil servants aren't the enemy. They need clear marching orders. And by the way, here's a suggestion for the members of Congress, and maybe you could pass this along to your member of Congress if they're willing to listen to you, and they probably aren't unless you're making a major campaign contribution. You know, that works, right? Many talks and uh, BS walks. But if they're really concerned about what's going on, why don't the Congress, or why doesn't the Congress, subpoena the critical elements of job evaluations of the civil servants who work in various component agencies of the Department of Homeland Surrender, uh, Homeland Security? See, I confuse it all the time, Okay. How do they evaluate these folks? Because that evaluation actually provides the marching orders for those employees because everyone wants a good evaluation on their job, just like you wanted a good report card when you were a kid. So what are they expecting of them? It, it, is, it is enumerated in their evaluation, telling them what standards they're supposed to meet and what their priorities should be. I think it will be really interesting for Congress to subpoena, if need be, the critical elements of job descriptions and evaluations that pertain to the inspectors at ports of entry, CBP, the ICE agents, and so forth. Because that's the marching orders that they're getting, folks. If they want a good evaluation, this will tell you what it is they're supposed to do. That will lay out with crystal clarity, I believe, how the policies of the Biden administration translate into the actions taken or not taken by people who are supposed to enforce and administer our immigration laws. So that's just something to think about. Anyway, this young lady said the following. 
Good afternoon, Chairman McClintock, Ranking Member Jayapal, and distinguished members of the committee. It's an honor to be here. I thank you for the invitation to share my testimony. My goal is to inspire action to safeguard the lives of migrant children, including the staggering 85,000 that are missing. And the lunatic left screamed about children in cages. Hmm? Today, children will work overnight shifts at slaughterhouses, factories, and restaurants to pay their debts to smugglers and traffickers. Today, children will be sold for sex. Today, children will call a hotline to report that they are being abused, neglected, and trafficked. For nearly a decade, unaccompanied children have been suffering in the shadows. I must confess I knew nothing about their suffering until 2021 when I volunteered to help the Biden administration with the crisis at the southern border. As part of Operation Artemis, I was deployed to the Pomona Fairplex Emergency Intake Site in California to help the HHS Office of the Refugee Resettlement Office, I'm sorry, HHS Office of Refugee Resettlement, also known as ORR, reunite children with sponsors in the United States. I thought I was going to help place children in loving homes. Instead, I discovered that children are being trafficked through a sophisticated network that begins with being recruited in home country, smuggled to the United States border, and ends when ORR, the Office of Refugee Resettlement, delivers a child to a sponsor. Some sponsors are criminals and traffickers that are members of transnational criminal organizations. Some sponsors view children as commodities and assets to be used for earning income. This is why we are witnessing an explosion of labor trafficking. Whether intentional or not, it can be argued that the U.S. government has become the middleman in a large-scale, multi-billion dollar child trafficking operation run by bad actors seeking to profit off of the lives of children. As for me, my interest is in the safety of the children. I don't view this as a political issue. I view this as a humanitarian issue. My motives are at the highest and best. I want to see children protected, so I want to tell you some of what I witnessed at the Pomona Fairplex. I saw vulnerable indigenous children from Guatemala who speak a Mayan dialect and can't speak Spanish. That means they can't ask for help in English and they can't ask for help in Spanish. These children become captive to their sponsors. I've sat with case managers as they cried, retelling horrific things that were done to children on the journey. I saw apartment buildings where 20, 30, and 40 unaccompanied children have been released. I saw sponsors trying to simultaneously sponsor children from multiple ORR sites. I saw sponsors using multiple addresses to obtain sponsorships of children. I saw numerous cases of children in debt bondage, and the child knew that they had to stay with the sponsor until the debt was paid. Realizing that they were not offering children the American dream, but instead putting them into a modern-day slavery with wicked overlords and a terrible revelation, these children are a captive victim population with no access to law enforcement or knowledge of their rights. They are extorted, exploited, abused, neglected, and trafficked, and that is why I blew the whistle. I witnessed firsthand the horrors of child trafficking and exploitation. My life will never be the same, but I have hope. I am counting on you. It is my hope that you will take action to end this crisis and safeguard the lives of these vulnerable children. And she goes on. Uh, well, let me, let me, I guess I should finish this. 
People have asked me, what would you do to turn the ship around? I usually say some of the following. Commit to oversight, transparency, and accountability. Number one priority for HHS is oversight. Data from the UC program needs to be examined by expert data analysts. This could be done quickly by experts in the IG community at the Pandemic Analytics Center of Excellence or PACE. Children could be rescued and criminals could be prosecuted if PACE had access to the data in the UC portal. Stop retaliating against whistleblowers. Well, I just said that, didn't I? Stop retaliating against the truth-tellers who are trying to help. As it is written, a wise man listens to advice while a fool continues in his folly. HHS needs to be wise. Change HHS culture of speed over safety. Speed is the wrong performance measure. Well, I just said that. How are we evaluating our employees, folks, right? Revamp the vetting process of sponsors and have case managers who are investigators, data analysts, certified fraud examiners, etc. Reimagine a system where the sponsor is the accountable party. Sponsors should be required to report to ORR. So this is going on because there is no interior enforcement. And you have a corrupt federal government that is doing everything it can to entice unprecedented numbers of aliens from around the world to flood America. Think of the environmental impact. Think of the economic impact. And what's remarkable to me, again, listening to Fox just before I went on the air today, there was a poll done. How bad is the border crisis? And, you know, these numbers are all over the charts, and no one ever talks about how the questions are asked. Five percent of the American people think the border is a big deal. Most people are concerned about the economy. They're concerned about gun violence and so forth. Here's the problem. Immigration plays a role in every one of the challenges and threats that poll much higher in these surveys, but it's never presented that way. I remember a couple of years ago I went on a, on a trip. I was doing some speaking engagements. I was in my hotel room, and I, and I took a survey. It was, you know, what do you think is the biggest threat we face? Terrorism, immigration, COVID, violence, on and on and on. So I clicked on immigration, and then I thought I would click on terrorism and, you know, COVID, whatever. As soon as I clicked on immigration, I was locked out from all the others. Well, wait a moment. You mean I I can only pick one? And the one that I picked actually has a profound impact on just about every other issue that was being surveyed. COVID came to America from across our borders, right? Violent drug gangs are flooding America with narcotics that wouldn't be here if we had secure borders, and not just the southern border, right? If you're concerned about violence, why aren't we concerned about violent gangs? And by the way, for the most part, many cities, especially sanctuary cities, do not take into account the nationality of criminals that they arrest. They don't even want to know where they were born. Well, why is that important? Well, I worked with Al D'Amato back in the early 80s to enhance the reentry law to make reentry by criminal aliens a 20-year maximum felony. Up until then, it was a two-year crime no matter what, and no one took criminal history into account. And I said, no, that doesn't make any sense. Two years is okay for a dishwasher or a farmhand. If you get deported, come back, two years in jail, sure. But if you're a child molester, a rapist, a drug dealer, a murderer, an arsonist, right? You should be looking at 20 years in jail as a deterrent. We deport you, you come back, you're going into jail. Keep them out. Give them a a, a deterrence. 
But if you don't know if someone's an alien, then that opportunity is missed to be able to get rid of people who shouldn't be here. Illegal alien in possession of firearms, okay? It's a 10-year felony. Illegal alien in possession of ammunition, provided the ammunition or the firearm crossed either our international borders or a state border because interstate commerce is how the feds get their hooks into these cases. So an illegal alien with a firearm is now looking at 10 years in jail. I made numerous arrests for illegal aliens with firearms. It started out many years ago that it was a two-year felony. Then they made it a five-year felony. It's now a 10-year felony. So you would think that those who wanted to disarm Americans would be happy to enforce a law that would put the bad guys out of business when they had weapons. But no, they don't want to know about that. They don't care if illegal aliens are wandering the streets killing people. They just want to make guns illegal, but not do anything to the people wielding the firearm. I mean, this is crazy. When there's a terrible car accident, the first thing you hear about was, number one, did the guy have a license? Number two, was the guy acting under the influence of drugs or, or alcohol? Why are we never told about whether or not someone pulling the trigger in a mass shooting was acting under the influence of drugs or alcohol? Roughly 45,000 people, according to a report I read a while back, about 45,000, if I have the numbers right, are killed every year in car accidents at about 47,000 because of firearms. Very close numbers. All we hear about is gun control. Have you ever heard about car control? Isn't that a remarkable parallel? You would think that you want to get the guns out of the hands of those people who are likely to kill you or who have, uh, you know, violations of law that makes it illegal to have a gun. They, they want the red flag laws, but there's a law on the books right now that makes it a 10-year felony for an illegal alien to possess a firearm when the lunatic left doesn't want to hear about it. Is this really about public safety? Of course not. They're releasing murderers onto the streets, emboldening them, and intimidating law-abiding citizens. And law-abiding citizens tend to be intimidated to begin with because we're law-abiding. Gee whiz, I shouldn't jaywalk. It's against the law. I guess I'll wait for the light to turn green, right? That's who we are. We tend to follow the laws and the rules because it's in our nature to be moral and, and do the right thing. Criminals, on the other hand, have nothing but contempt for the laws and the norms and the regulations and so forth. So you take the criminals who don't give a rat's tail about the laws to begin with, and you impose no penalties when they violate the laws, but you crack down on people who are law-abiding. Brilliant. Brilliant. You can't make this stuff up. Without interior enforcement, I, you know, I like to use analogies. It's kind of like playing baseball and making the outfielders sit out the game. Do you think a team could win a game if their outfielders couldn't take to the field when, when they were supposed to be in the field? Any player on the other team that can hit the ball over the heads of the infielders or hit the ball between the infielders would basically get an in-the-park home run, right? Think about it. Once aliens get past the Border Patrol or get past the inspector at the port of entry, they are home free. And this has been an issue for decades, not just now. Both parties want open borders. That's why there's no interior enforcement. People say to me, well, if we had mandatory E-Verify, wouldn't that solve the problem? Absolutely not. It's kind of silly. We have mandatory tax returns. Does that prevent people from committing tax fraud? No. 
what it deters them is there's an army, literally an army of IRS agents and auditors who go over the tax returns so people know if they mess around, there's a good chance they're going to get caught. And even with that, some people are, you know, still going to try, and they get arrested. You can go to the Justice Department website and see some of the stupidity they do. But the idea is making E-Verify mandatory won't solve the problem of people hiring illegal aliens. They'll hire 45 people legitimately, and the paperwork is pristine. It looks like a textbook. And when you get to the factory, there's 409 people in the factory. They've got paperwork for 40 odds, 409. No, those are illegal aliens, and they work off the books. But you don't know until you get to the factory. The other problem is we give people lawful status to take jobs they shouldn't be taking because we're displacing Americans. So legitimately, they can work here. They fly through the E-Verify process, but perhaps they committed visa fraud or their lawyers did. Uh, There was an interesting video that was out there by the computer uh, programmers organization where you had lawyers counseling other lawyers about how to beat the immigration system to make certain that aliens not american citizens get the jobs why because if americans get hired the lawyers don't get their billable hours if you hire aliens they make money and the wages are lower because aliens are work for less money than americans and who gets screwed the american citizen worker who either loses his job or has to accept a a drastic reduction in pay if they want to be competitive with third world workers. When you bring in an army of third world workers willing to work the third world wages under third world conditions, you turn America, folks, into a third world country. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We know that immigration fraud was the key issue for the terrorists. I read it to you. What are we doing to uncover the fraud? We're giving people citizenship who shouldn't be getting citizenship, they also sail through the E-Verify process. And then people will say to me, well, walls don't really work because if you build a 20-foot wall, they'll come with a 25-foot ladder. A 25-foot ladder is unwieldy. It's hard to carry around in your pocket. But I could put something in the pocket of an alien that makes the wall basically disappear. It goes poof. Not a ladder, not a helium balloon so they can float over it. It's a green card or it's a U.S. passport, because once we give an alien lawful status, they could walk right across the border. So how do you have real border security when aliens are easily able to enter the country? If you could have made the Mexican border airtight, 9-11 would have happened exactly the way it happened. The Boston Marathon attack would have happened exactly the way that it happened. The bombing at the World Trade Center at 93 would have happened exactly the way that it happened. The shooting at the CIA in 1993 would have happened exactly the way it happened because this had nothing to do with the Mexican border. Now, again, we have got to secure that border. It's a big problem. It's a dangerous border. But my gosh, folks, that's not the only way that aliens gain access to the United States. It's only one gaping hole in the bottom of our boats. But there are many other holes. And so I ask you rhetorically, How many holes do you need to have at the bottom of your boat before the boat goes down to the bottom of the lake? And the answer is only one hole. And all that Congress wants to plug or even talk about, I'm not sure they want to plug it really, is the Mexican border. Why? They're all in on this game. Because I guarantee you the other shoe will drop the way they've tried time and time and time again at nauseum. 
oh, we've secured the Mexican border, now we can have comprehensive immigration reform. Something that I give, have given two names to, the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. I was very upset that Jeff Sessions had his falling out with President Trump. He was a phenomenal senator. I wish he was still in the Senate. He actually quoted me from the floor of the Senate, I believe it was in 2006, when I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times, where I compared the hearings over comprehensive immigration reform over the countdown to the launch of Space Shuttle Challenger. I said the reason for the countdown for the launch was for the experts to weigh in as to whether they should go forward with the launch, the purpose of the hearings, for the experts to weigh in whether they should go forward with the legislation. I said, think about what happened to Challenger when they launched against the advice of some of their best engineers. We had a catastrophe. Now I said they're looking to pass a law that would give millions of people who snuck into the country lawful status without the capacity to conduct interviews, forget about field investigations, and that only took 19 terrorists to carry out 9-11. We have millions of people here. If one-tenth of one percent of the people that we've let in are bad guys, we're in deep you-know-what. Okay? I also call what Biden is doing the Overwhelm America Act. Think of the impact that all these children have on the environment, all the people to begin with, the kids that have to go to school. The Congressional Budget Office did a study, I believe it was 2006, 2007, that said that it costs 20 to 40 percent more to educate children who can't speak, read, or write English. So not only do we need more teachers and more classrooms to teach them, but they also need special services, the money that should be spent on laboratories and other um, assets to help make certain that American kids get the finest education in the world, that money is gone. It's going to English as a second language. Money that needs to be spent on American kids who have learning disabilities, they're out of luck because we're spending money on English as a second language. This is devastating our educational system. Think about that. It impacts all of our infrastructure, whether it's mass transit, whether it's electricity, they want to electrify everything, but everybody who's here flips light switches on where are we going to get the electricity for as we keep on admitting hundreds of thousands of people each and every month nonstop. How is this consistent with the notion of sustainability? We need water for them. We need sewage. We need electricity and transportation, health care. All these issues need to be addressed, but guess what Congress wants to talk about? If they're willing to talk, it's the Mexican border. Enough is enough. We need to make the politicians aware of the fact that we're not as dumb as they've been playing us for. They need to hear from us so they understand that we understand that they're conning us. The Mexican border must be made secure, but it's only the first step. And we need to address all of the issues simultaneously, or otherwise all you're going to do is divert aliens to come here through different means. When you get in the car, you track the traffic reports, and if one bridge has an accident, you take the different bridge. Don't you think the aliens are doing the same thing? How dumb are we, or perhaps how corrupt are we? I thank you for joining me. I hope you have a terrific weekend. Please share the link to the podcast of my program with as many of your friends as you can. Have conversations with them. Let's celebrate the First Amendment. Let's remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. Thank you again, folks. I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. So long for now.